Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Not Your Average Hunter. My name is Ethan Mathias, and tonight I'll be talking with Thomas Hoke from Hoke Outdoors. Uh, if you want to follow Thomas on YouTube, check out his YouTube channel, Hoke Outdoors. You can also see Thomas's uh, Instagram page, Hoke underscore Outdoors. Thanks, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. What's going on, Thomas? Oh, nothing much. Nothing much. You finished up the homework? Yeah. Yep. It, uh... Man, it gave me a blast from the past when you said that earlier. I, <laughs> I, I'd trade doing homework some days over sending quotes after eight hours straight. Oh, yeah. I bet. I bet. I'm so ready to be done with it now. I'm like, I'll do anything. <laughs> but I know the grass is always greener. Uh, how much longer do you have? I'm done this year. So I got oh, about a month left. I think I actually have exactly a month of classes left. And then, um, like, stay here for a week, graduate, and I'm done. Congratulations, man. It's almost that time. <laughs> I'm ready for it to be done. I think I'll eventually actually come back to school, but um, I'm done with it now because of COVID. It's just, it's changed so much in the time I've been here. Oh yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine going to college during COVID. It's, <laughs> it's definitely been a wild ride. I can, I this year, like go since it's been, you know, getting close to the end, I've been thinking back and I was like, man, I remember that right when we heard about COVID, the school told us we were getting out we were sitting there like, oh man, we get a second spring break. <laughs> we're gonna get a couple weeks off we'll be back here we'll like it'll be great we'll be rested have a great spring semester and then we just never came back oh man yeah there's there's no reason that uh anybody going to school during covid shouldn't get an a on every report yeah <laughs> yeah definitely they did make the grading really really easy during during that first year so that was nice yeah that's awesome what are uh what's your major um environmental science and so i'm uh i wanted to do something where I could get into the wildlife resources field um, a little bit easier. What uh, what would be your dream job? Just out um, of curiosity with that. I think probably like working out in the Central Pacific Flyway on either like a big wildlife management area or a national wildlife refuge and getting to kind of manage habitat for hunting. I think that would be really, really cool to get to be a part of um, creating habitat and then getting to see that actually be used by hunters as well. Oh man, that, yeah, that's every hunter's dream job. Yeah. So. so I think, I think it would be really cool. I think it would kind of give some perspective in terms of like what the flyway is really like. Cause you know, I've gone out there a couple of times now, but it's just been a couple day, week long. I feel like to go out there and actually spend an entire year on a place, you would really see what exactly the migration looked like. Oh man. Yeah. There's no telling. I mean, it, I was out in California I guess a year and a half ago and you know, not being from California, you never think there's ducks there. And then you kind of get into the rice part of the country and there's ducks everywhere. Yeah. Incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think, (laughs) I think that's one of the coolest things about waterfowl is like there's still hidden gems. And I guess that's probably dwindling now as social media gets bigger, but like, especially perspective wise, you know, if you're from Arkansas and you've only ever known the Mississippi flyway to go out to somewhere like California would just be wild. Oh, absolutely. Well, before we get too far, Thomas, introduce yourself, tell everybody who you are and uh, what you do. Yeah, sure. Um, My name is Thomas Hoke. I'm from Richmond, Virginia. I go to Longwood University. I'm a senior. It's almost done now. And um, really, I just love waterfowl hunting. And I've kind of been trying to make videos that center around waterfowl hunting for the last few years. So that's uh, been been a big part of my life for the last couple of years, at least. 
Yeah, I've actually got one of your videos playing in the background of my office. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, it's definitely that time of year where the views are a little low, so everyone counts right now. Hey, yeah, I'll help out any way I can. <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. Well, so did you did you grow up hunting? Is it something your family's done for a long time, or what, what got you into hunting? Um, mainly my dad. He's he he grew up hunting. He's always hunted. He's more of a turkey deer guy. Um, but he did do a little waterfowl hunting. I think his version was standing in the swamp 15 minutes after sunset past shooting wood ducks. So, um, to kind of, I, I kind of caught the bug around 12, um, a close family friend of ours has an impoundment. And so we went down there, I think it was in December, um, shot six ringnecks and a merganser, but that was enough for me to be like, I want to do this. I started researching a little bit about it. And then, um, once I, turned 16 and got my driver's license I was I got a kayak and it was just kind of off to the races from there so um that was kind of the way I got into waterfowl hunting but definitely just hunting in general was my dad he took me out turkey and deer hunting yeah it seems like your dad's pretty cool I've seen some of your some of your videos with him in the background man it looks like y'all have a blast yeah it's always a good time when when he's there unfortunately he hasn't been able to come out as much the last couple seasons um having back problems and stuff like that but I'm hoping these next couple seasons with me being done with school i'll be able to hunt with him a decent bit more at least oh make sure you don't take him to any of your uh, super difficult spots because some of these spots you've been hunting in uh man it looks like a hike trying to get in there <laughs> yeah yeah and that's definitely as that's definitely been an issue with you know getting him out as well as like i feel like every year the spots i hunt get harder and harder i try to go further back into places so um, it's definitely made it tougher to get him out, whether it be in the kayak or just long hikes in and out. You kind of blow me away with all the kayak hunting you do. I, I've done that two or three times and man, I'm, I don't have the body for it. I'll tell you that <laughs> much. <laughs> I've really, I've really grown to love it. It definitely like is a, is a more challenging style of hunting. I think it, I think it takes a lot more, um, just to be in better physical shape a lot and you have to kind of have all your ducks in a row because if you're in deep water in a kayak or thick mud with a kayak you have to you have to have all your stuff sorted out so that you can actually get hit and get your decoys set so it definitely is it's been a challenge but i've really really grown to love it and i'd say it's probably my favorite style of hunting now honestly uh, there, you've got two videos and I, I don't know the names of them one of them you were hunting way back in some some timber but you ended uh-huh. up killing like two black ducks in a row, and that blew my mind. And oh, the yeah. The other one, you were on a creek, and you were just floating down it, and you you easily had to have shot your limit of Canadians. But I thought oh, it was yeah. the coolest thing. You're just you're just floating down the river, and every so often you just shoot one or two, and then you keep on going. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, that's something I've kind of discovered the last couple of years. I'd never really done it before, but I started doing more float hunts where, you know, just either early in the season for, for Canada's where they're nesting and living on the river or late season when everything freezes up and then birds have to go to the flowing water. Um, it, it's been really fun either way. I definitely, I'd say I like it a little more, those cold ones where um, everything's locked up and everything has to go to the water because you just, or the flowing water because you just never know what you're going to run into, but those early season hunts are, are a lot of fun too. You know, 78 degrees flow, flowing down the river in your shorts <laughs> with a fishing rod and, and you're coming across groups of 20 to 30 Canada's is pretty, pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. As you say, catch a few fish, shoot a few birds home yep. at the end of the day. That's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> Some of the guys listening may or may not know how many States have you hunted in? I guess I can do it real quick. Idaho, North Dakota, Kansas, Nebraska, Virginia, North Carolina, 
So I guess that's it. I, oh, in Texas. So seven now. You didn't. Um, I figured you would have hunted up in Minnesota. No, so, I didn't actually. I, I wish I could have, but um, I had to leave there about the last weekend in August to get back to school this year. Oh man. Yeah, I mean they don't they don't have an early goose season like North Dakota does. Otherwise, <laughs> I, I certainly would have. Yeah, absolutely there. wouldn't pass that up. Yeah. Uh, but I'm hoping well, to I'm hoping to hunt up there more this fall. Um, it's definitely the area I was in is I think pretty unique for um for Minnesota too because it's actually more like North Dakota in terms of potholes and stuff like that. So I definitely want to want to get up there and do some hunting and try and figure it out. Oh yeah, my uh, so my grandparents used to own a resort in uh, outside of Dent, Minnesota, just real small town mm-hmm. on a uh, big McDonald Lake. And it, it's neat driving around the area because there's all these little potholes. You know, they're all just little cattail ponds and, yep. you know, some larger lakes. But, man, there's birds everywhere. And, mm-hmm. and I talked talk to a few of the guys. and Like, man, there's hardly any pressure up here. I mean, you have so many different options. You couldn't put a guy in every spot. So yeah. It's pretty neat. I, I definitely want to get a hunt in up there at some point. Yeah, that's kind of what I was told was told too. Is like they, and if you look at the numbers in terms of like uh, what the U.S. Fish and Wildlife posts, they they are supposed to have some sixty thousand sixty thousand odd duck hunters in any given year. So they have just an astronomical amount. But like you said, they have so much water that it definitely does get spread out better than other states. It seems like. Oh, absolutely. With all the videos and everything you've created on on YouTube, have you ever logged all of your hunts or you know calculated how many birds you've killed? so far i can't say i have exactly um i use freelance hunt stats to track my numbers for a given season um and that i track weather and wind direction everything like that um but i haven't actually logged all my hunts in there from previous seasons so i'd have to go back and and do that to know that exact number well i hope somebody listening uh is a big fan of yours and watches all your videos just so he can count the birds and send you a message on Instagram. <laughs> Man, that would be a lot of video watching. I think they would be pretty sick of my voice by the end of it. <laughs> That'd be a dedicated fan though. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So, so when did, uh, speaking of YouTube, when did you first get into it and you know, what kind of got you into the YouTube idea? Um, honestly, I was, I forget what store I was. I was in some store like the day before Dove opener. In 2014, I saw a GoPro and I had a little bit of money from mowing lawns during the summer or something like that. So I bought it, made a couple Dove videos way back then. And then I kind of got back into it later in high school, around 16, 17, um, got my driver's license. So I was able to travel a little bit more. And um, really, I, I was watching freelance duck hunting videos. I remember it was my junior in high school. And I think it was his second season making videos. I was like, this looks like a lot of fun. I really liked how he documented it. And I wanted to give that kind of style of video a try too. And it's kind of just been what I've ran with. Yeah, I, it's crazy. I I remember just randomly being on Facebook one day and, you know, just random videos pop up all the time. And sometimes it catch your interest, sometimes it doesn't. And watch one of your videos and I was like, man, this guy is just spanking them. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll watch one more. I'll watch one more, and I'm like, where's this guy hunting at? And then get a little bit further into it, I'm like, this guy's in Virginia? What do you – what yep. where, where do these birds come from? Just You know, I'm used to hunting Tennessee and Mississippi and Arkansas. I had no idea. And then one thing led to another. You know, I just kept watching, you know, kind of along as you were posting more and more videos and decided to reach out. And, man, I, I appreciate you responding. You know, most most guys don't. 
But uh, appreciate you responding. I'm glad to have you on tonight. No, man, I'm. I appreciate all the information you've given me. I remember you reached out, and it was kind of right when I started doing the millet stuff, and um, you know, you'd had a little more experience with that than I had. So I, I definitely appreciate you giving me some advice with that, and um, you know, I look forward to hopefully getting out to Arkansas with you eventually. We've been talking about it for a couple seasons now, and then hopefully now that I got school all finished up, I can actually take you up on that offer. Oh man, you are welcome anytime you want. You got plenty of room. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I, just the way y'all manage that piece of ground, I feel like it's a lot different than any sort of the management techniques I've seen around here. So I feel like I would just I'd learn a ton, and obviously getting to meet you and and just experience that area down there would be would be really cool. Because I mean. I've, anywhere in Arkansas is going to be a lot more steeped in duck hunting culture than probably anything else I've visited before. Oh man, it's it's I love being in Arkansas. It's just when you're in the state, there's just there's something about it. You know, you you can tell everybody else is is in it just as much as you are, and everyone's there for the same reason. And it, you got to love the small town feel. It's just it's it's great, man. I mm-hmm. you can't beat it. I'm definitely yeah. it's definitely high on my list so <laughs> make it make it happen this fall speaking of the uh millet and everything because i man i was watching that video i mean every time you posted i had my alerts on i was just i was so curious to see how your progress is going you took a uh i mean that was that was pretty bold you know you guys you got some property and you and i don't know if it was you and a couple buddies or you and just that one buddy but, i mean you guys you guys did everything by hand. I mean, you pulled all the lily pads out, raked everything. Holy crap. Tell, tell, tell me and everybody listening a little bit about that experience because, I mean, you you put a ton of time and effort into that place. Yeah, for sure. I think you described it pretty well. We definitely worked harder instead of smarter on that one. There's a, a ton of learning that uh, that we were able to get from it, but – we just had this three-acre pond. My buddy had, had got permission on it, and so it was three of us, myself, him, and then one of our mutual friends as well. We went in there. Um, we built a blind the year before, did some hunting out of that. It was just kind of wood ducks here and there, maybe 20, 30 at most, pushing through there. Um, there are some oak trees around the pond, so we already had a little bit of habitat, and we didn't, didn't do anything with the water that year. Um, but then the, we came, my buddy had the idea the next year to go in there, um, drain it down a few feet, just hand spread Japanese mill and, and see what we got. So um, that's what we did. We had a few lily pads here and there that we, uh, I guess a few might be an understatement, but we had to rip up, <laughs> rip up some lily, yeah, rip up some lily pads and uh, it ended up doing pretty well. And uh, the thing that I'd say was the biggest learning point was that uh, the ability to put, put water back on at when you want and timely is just as important, if not more important than having the ability to take water off. We were all worried about how are we going to get this water off? And we really didn't think about, um, you know, what is going to be this water, what's going to be the flow of this water coming back in. So we got clipped by a couple September hurricanes and, and that did us in. And then this year I planted it again and um, just planned it too late and didn't have anything make by the time uh, our first frost hit, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, some uh, Are you thinking about doing it again this year? Any other any other plans for it or um, something might so be different? I'm moving back to Minnesota again this summer. So oh, again, doing no, the fishing guide. Um, I'm working up there for, uh, for um, DRC again. Making oh, that's duck awesome. and goose calls. Yep. So I'm really looking forward to that. I had a ton of fun doing that last summer. Um, learned an absolute, absolutely incredible amount. So I'm definitely looking forward to getting back up there and in the ground run, hopefully. 
how did you uh, how did you get connected and involved with all that? I literally, just the Facebook ad. Um, it was well, I guess it wasn't an ad. It was in the Big Honker podcast group. Um, I'm was in there looking around one day, and Corey had posted this advertisement for, or I guess yeah, just an advertisement to see if anybody wanted to apply to be a summer intern. So I applied, and two other guys, and we went up there and um, had had a great time. Man, that's that's awesome. I mean. Definitely take advantage of every opportunity you get. You know, at your age, don't pass any opportunity up. If you get the opportunity to do something fun like that, man, take it and run with it. For sure. I have to, I actually have to thank my mom for, for convincing me to do it. I, I remember I went to go ask her about it because I had applied and I was like, and I think Corey had hit, um, talked to me again. I was like, man, I, I, I really wasn't expecting it to to turn into anything um because it'd been a couple couple weeks after he had posted it where i saw the actual announcement so i was a little bit behind and then he ended up hitting me back up and i asked my mom and she was like yeah go do it and i was expecting her to tell me to stay in virginia for the summer so she said that and i was like oh, yeah i guess i'm gonna do it uh, miss oak sounds awesome <laughs> yeah she, she's done that a couple times for me where i was doubting myself or, or not gonna kind of take a leap and she's pushed me pushed me to do it so i'm definitely thankful for that yeah, man, that's awesome. Especially since you're going back for a second year, man. That that you know, just the learning experience and who you get to meet and you know everything else about it. I mean, there's no telling where that's going to take you in the future. For sure, for sure. That's been an, an invaluable part of it. And then also, I just I love living in Northwest Minnesota for the summer. It's a little bit nicer weather than Virginia. Not 80 percent humidity every day. Um, nice fishing up there in the summer. And oh well, yeah, catching walleyes and yeah bikes and everything and then you can roll right into fall you got north dakota right there minnesota has good hunting in its own right so i just to be up there for the fall it seems a little bit more enticing than virginia I have yeah to say. <laughs> oh man you're gonna have a blast that's awesome yeah definitely definitely looking forward to it. i can't can't say anything else about that oh, that's neat that's a that's a really unique opportunity and that that's cool you're getting to go back yeah so. You get on YouTube, you type in any kind of duck hunting. You know, most guys that, you know, are into it as much as you are, it seems like all they ever want to post is, you know, a hunt that's full of limits, which, you know, everybody wants to have a day where that's all you do is shoot a bunch of limits. You have videos where you're not shooting limits. You know, are you feeling – do you feel any kind of pressure not having, you know, a video that has just ten limits or five limits in it? You know, I I think people can appreciate it because not every day you go hunt are you going to shoot limits and you know i was just curious if, if you guys ever felt any pressure if you ever felt any pressure you know from people commenting on it well why'd you post this there's mm-hmm. you know i'm sure you know a lot more about that than i do but yeah i'd say honestly i don't feel as much pressure with the whole limits thing just i i feel pressure and when i do feel pressure and i try to really mitigate it because when i got into youtube i was like if i ever feel pressure to hunt a specific way or, or to hunt harder, post more hunts. I, I just wouldn't have felt great about that. So um, when I do feel pressure, it's just to post videos, you know, I'll be behind on my editing. It's like, I just have to speed it up and be more productive with my time editing. And I definitely do prioritize probably the uh, more action packed hunts. I can't, can't deny that. It's just, it just ends tends to be what ra- rises to the top. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I don't, nobody faults you for that. I mean, yep. everyone would do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So, but I do try and post 
as many hunts as possible as I can. I try and post the hunts where we don't have as much going on because I feel like there's something to learn from every hunt. That was a big part of the reason why I got into filming in general was just, I felt like if I looked back at the hunts five, 10 years down the road, I'd be able to learn from them. So even the ones where, where you get skunked, it might be your own fault. It might just be that the birds didn't show, but there's, there's typically something that you can learn from it. I feel like. Oh yeah. And, and I've never hunted with one of those shot cams. I know, or I don't, I don't know if it's shot cam or different brand, but the one that you use, I think it's pretty neat. You know, you get, you get to see your shot, but man, I, I don't want to make your head feel big, but man, you seem pretty, uh, pretty slick on the shot. Cause it, <laughs> it is help. It, honestly, I credit that thing a hundred percent with any improvement that I've had in shooting. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm shooting a little better and, I think that confidence probably translates into better shooting going forward. So, um, you know, I've, I just, I've really been able to learn, learn from that thing tremendously seeing where I hit, where I miss, I, I found out that I was missing behind and above birds most of the time when I was missing them. And I think that's because my gun throws a little bit more of a 70, 30 pattern. I thought it was throwing more like 60, 40. So I have to float the bird a little more. Um, and I've just been able to make just really small, small adjustments. And I feel like it's had big dividends and, in, in how my shooting has been, especially this past season. Yeah. I, I mean, I, at some point I'll, I'll finally make the purchase, but man, it's, it's pretty cool. We, uh, <laughs> we ended up killing a band this year at our place and uh-huh. man it it's just it's so funny because everybody's like oh yeah 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 you know i shot i shot it's like we still don't know who shot it so we ended up doing a band draw at the house and one of my and buddies got it no shoot oh, no man. heck no i'm one of these days but man it's just it's always funny you know the last band we killed before that same deal as my little brother my brother-in-law they were the only two that shot. And <laughs> my brother-in-law goes, what's my property? So I get the bang. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, pulling the Trump card. <laughs> I uh, probably would too. If I had a, if I had a guess, I'd be like, Hey man, sorry, but. <laughs> yep. Yep. That one. And then the, my dog picked it up are two pretty good ones. to play. Oh yeah. <laughs> but that, that's where the shot cam would be worth every penny. It's like, wait a oh. minute. I definitely shot that thing. For sure, for sure. I only had one situation this year where I where we had, you know, a bunch of birds go down and I could have looked back at it. And honestly, I just I didn't feel like it. it I had looked back at it in real time and I would have had to like go back and do it frame by frame to be sure. And it's like at that point it just <laughs> it did not feel like it was worth it at all, especially since I was a guest on the hunt. I was like, I'm just gonna just gonna play the game of the band draw. Yep, yep. Well, you did the right thing anyway. So, yep. <laughs> how many guys are y'all typically hunting at one time on on your property? Does it vary a lot, or is it typically like four or five, six guys? So we we've got ten, or we had ten guys in our club last year. Really didn't want to add anybody at all, uh, but we mm-hmm. ended up adding two more guys this year, and twelve is a max. Man, I don't want to. I don't want to run a major club. I don't want to have to deal with. 20 30 guys and that just makes get, sense yeah it's just we've got a good group of guys we know where everybody's hunting we know mm-hmm. no one's running up a field or guiding or doing anything sketchy out there the landowners really appreciate that they can communicate with us and that goes a long way in my opinion you know when you can build trust with somebody to where you know they understand you're not going to mess up their property you're not going to disrespect them and you're going to follow their rules goes a long way and mm-hmm. the more guys you get in to your club it just 
a lot more to keep up with. And I, I want to keep it fun. I want my guys to have fun. I don't want it to turn into a situation where people get into arguments and complain about, oh, well, this guy hunted that spot. I want to hunt here, you know. Yeah. So yeah. keeping it small is a whole lot easier for me. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to run a major duck club right now. Yeah, makes sense. Are you <laughs> are you mainly running or do y'all do y'all kind of run it more as a club or are you really kind of driving it forward? So my my brother-in-law and I put it together. Uh we've been with the same group of guys pretty much for the past 6 years, maybe 7 years. And uh you know, we kind of split it up, you know, one guy's our money guy, one guy, you know, he's we call him our project manager, he's in charge of all the projects, blind builds, house renovations, different things like that. And then we got, you know, we kind of just divide everything up. So it's not so much stress on one person. And I'm kind of my brother-in-law and I, we put everything together, kind of manage the rules, everything, and uh, talk to all the farmers and find property and all that. So it's, it's definitely a group effort. Definitely. Yeah. That sounds like the best way to do it. I feel like I'd be surprised if doing it with or just one person taking it all on wasn't too much i mean you'd have to really really devote a lot of time i would think to manage a big piece of ground like that yeah and uh in the first year uh, that was all me man i not to say i took all the credit but man i probably had more <laughs> time and effort in it to it than anybody just finding the property meeting the landowner getting all the paperwork signing contracts getting insurance finding the house and man hey, you'll have to get insurance for that yeah, uh, it, you know, unfortunately, finding a, a handshake deal is not as easy anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. back in the day, you could shake a guy's hand, give him money, you were good to go. Uh, the past few farms that we've had, uh, you know, it also makes them feel better saying, hey, you know, we have insurance. My group's covered. Mm-hmm. In the event of an accident, we are covered. You're not liable. Makes sense. You know, it, it gives them a little bit of peace of mind. Uh, and I feel more comfortable about it too. You never know when anything's going to happen, but man, crazy things happen all the time. I <laughs> kind of going off on a tangent here, but had, had some buddies earlier this year during conservation season, they were uh, snow goose hunting and had, you know, thousand something decoys out. They're all wearing white Tyvek suits, laying in the decoys. They had oh, man. Uh, their megaphones going. Some truck pulls up on the levee road. Decides to shoot into the group of 22s. Oh, man. My buddy felt something hit his leg. He's like, man, what the heck was that? And uh, some good old boy on the side of the road started shooting into him with a 22. So they all jumped up. Gosh. And started oh. screaming at him. They jumped on their four-wheelers and drove to the road and met him. And thank God he had a Tyvek suit on. He had his waders on because the field was still wet and muddy. Uh-huh. And then he had his – uh he had some insulated pants on and then thermals. So, I mean, the bullet, thank God, didn't break through everything and mess anything up. He had a hell of a bruise, but that was about it. But mm, you lucky. just, man, yeah, you just, you never know. I mean, it, there's so many different situations you could run into. It's, you know, if, if something would have happened, you know, mm-hmm. it would have been good to have insurance, which he, he did, but uh, you just never know. Man, what, what ended up happening to the guy? Did y'all press charges? Uh, so they called the game warden and the guy said, Hey man, you know, I'm at fault here. You know, he didn't want to run. He, he owned it. You know, he Uh said, this is on me. This is my fault, but you just never know, man. It could have, it could have been a a bad situation. The guy could have ran off and not owned it. 
yep. done it again down the road somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That guy, that guy probably got lucky that that your buddy was wearing all those layers. Oh but, no, kidding! Yeah, I mean, if that <laughs> if it had been any worse, he would have been in a lot bigger trouble. I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, I I don't care if you hit me, but if you hit my dog, that's a different story. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> no doubt. So it well, yeah. I could see that coming to blows very, very quickly. Yeah, that 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 could be a whole different story. Yep. But well, so what have been uh, what have been some of your highs and some of your lows? on youtube uh i'd say the highs have been mainly just getting to hunt with new people meet meet a bunch of people really across the country um honestly probably probably the one of my favorite moments was this fall down in north carolina i was just scouting around some um, private land public land and uh went to these set of impoundments that um, I wasn't able to hunt, but I was going to check them because I had a permit for them later in the season. And these two guys were walking out of the uh, walking out of the impoundment. They introduced themselves as Ethan and Logan, and uh, they had seen a couple of videos. And we ended up hunting together the next day on a little <laughs> piece of private land, like right by their house. Which was, that's awesome. It was really cool. It was Logan's first ever duck hunt, and so he got to bag his first mallard drake, a um, couple other first species, blue wing, green wing. So it was really cool to to get to see that happen and. Um, I just feel like I wouldn't have had that opportunity if I had never started making videos. So, I mean, yeah. honestly, I, I could have, I could have met them and, and we had a conversation, but, um, they came up and introduced themselves kind of right when I was going to go a different way. So, um, definitely just a, a little bit of luck in that situation, but it was really, really fun. Oh yeah. I mean, that same way I met you, man, you know, I hadn't met you in person yet, but talk to you online, talk to you over comments on YouTube and Instagram and, you know, just, it, Mm-hmm. It, it's a neat way to, to network yourself and meet other people for sure for sure i never really thought of it as networking when i started i was like oh i'm gonna make these videos for myself and maybe my maybe my my dad will want to watch them or a couple of my friends when i hunt with them but i never really thought other people were gonna want to watch them so to get to get to meet people who have seen the videos and and want to hunt together has really been uh, just an absolute blessing oh yeah i mean it, it, it nowadays too it's just it's tough to keep somebody's attention for that long but seeing as how uh you're almost at six million views on uh youtube i'd say you're doing a pretty good job <laughs> yeah. yeah i got i got lucky to start i don't i don't i guess probably many people don't know but my first video i ever made was i found a gill net in a creek and it was full of fish like hundreds of dead fish so i spent an afternoon i was just fishing the creek and i spent an afternoon trying to pull dead fish out of it i got like a 30 pound catfish out of it um and tried to tie it up and get it out of the creek i wasn't really successful but i made a video of it and ended up going big on youtube so that was kind of the first kick right there when i got it was right around the time when i got my driver's license i was like i want to do this a little bit more it seems like fun it's funny you say that i actually watched that yesterday (laughs) and and, uh, (laughs) as i'm listening to it i was like i looked at the title it's like explicit language (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's one that was right when i learned youtube doesn't really like cursing i remember i was i was pretty ticked off in that video and uh youtube yeah youtube i think flagged it as over 18 or something like that i was like oh i guess i gotta gotta clean up the potty mouth a little bit yeah but man you did the right thing because you know people don't need to be leaving their lines out in the water like that, especially with how many dead fish were in that thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you, you absolutely did the right thing. And I hope, I hope they figured out whoever's net that was. And I never, unfortunately, I, I never got an answer on it. I called a couple weeks after they never could tell me anything. Um, I'm guessing they figured it out because it was a, uh, 
it was a recreational gill net, but you still have to register. Or it might have been a commercial gill. Honestly, I couldn't tell you right this moment, but um, it had a tag on it with someone's someone's ID number, basically. So I know the Game Wars did go out there at some point and collect it. Um, so I'm hoping they they figured it out because the the regulations on those are you have to keep them in sight at all times. I don't think you can leave it out for more than 12 or 24 hours. I know you have to keep it in sight at all times though, and so it it's certainly been out there for multiple multiple days. I'd I'd venture to say close to a week. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. I mean, with all the dead fish that were on it, there's no doubt. I mean, it was definitely over, out there for a longer period of time. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, so. Uh, what are uh, what are some of the lows? You know, have you experienced any any rough comments or you know people talking crap or what? Um, I honestly, right when I got into making videos, the comments would get to me a little bit. Honestly, nowadays I just see them as funny. Just some of the stuff people say is either just completely moronic, or it's or it's just they're the the a lot of the stuff is anti-water swat stuff which i just find hilarious so it really doesn't get to me i'd say the only low i've had um is just getting burnt out a little bit on videoing and editing at times it you know towards the end of a season it can it can just get tiring to point a bright light in your face at 5 30 in the morning <laughs> so um that's the only the only lows i've had but every time i've i've kind of run into that i've been able to get through it so i definitely feel fortunate for that yeah well man you, you got a good attitude that's, that's the best thing you can have so yeah. well uh i, I don't want to dive super super deep into this but uh you know i know there's a bunch of people out there that like to film their hunts and different things like that you know do you have any you know quick advice you could give somebody that wanted to get into you know maybe creating a channel or you know filming their hunts i'd say the biggest things are probably just to make as much content as you can you know I, i've talked to a few people over the years who wanted to get into it and that's what i've told all of them is you know if just if you're putting out a couple of videos a year it'll it'll just never take off unfortunately that's just not the way youtube works youtube rewards you for the more you post um so as mu- as much vi- as many videos as you can get out as possible and then just be yourself you know don't try and be someone else don't uh, don't do dumb stuff because it's for YouTube. I see a lot of that or more of that these days than, than when I got into it. And um, I just think being yourself is the most authentic way to make videos. And if people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. Yeah. I was going to say, and that that's one thing I appreciate about your videos versus, you know, some of the videos I see on YouTube is, I mean, you're, you're not trying to act like anybody. You're not, you know, you you seem like a pretty genuine guy. You're, you've got a conservation mindset too, when it comes to hunting, you know, you know, you're not just shooting everything that flies by, you're picking your shots out and you do things the right way. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I'm definitely, I appreciate it a lot. And it's definitely been something I've, I've tried to do is make videos. I felt like portray duck hunting in a, in a real light. I didn't ever want it to seem like the videos um, were, were, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but anyway, scripted, you know, that there was, it was, I was playing a character or anything like that. Like this is real hunting. This is how duck hunting goes. Sometimes you miss shots. Sometimes you cripple birds, but um, just try and portray it in, in a real light and realistic light. Oh yeah. I mean, the fact that, that you'll search for 30 minutes to find that bird, you know, you killed goes a long way. Yep. Some guys will be like, man, I can't find it. And they didn't even bother going to look for it. Like, yeah, whatever. I'll wait till the next one flies by yeah and honestly that's something that's always been ingrained in me i have to thank you know 
freelance duck hunting. I was watching his videos way back when, and he always preached looking for birds hard. So that was something that was kind of ingrained into me right when I started waterfowl hunting. And it's always been something where if, if I if I have a bird that I've lost, it's eating me up. I have to go back, look for it again. Um, and it's just it's something I'm almost OCD about. So I definitely try and try and recover all the lost birds. And hopefully I'll be able to get a dog here before long. Cause I know that would help. Yeah. I was going to say that, that was my next question. So uh, <laughs> when are you getting a dog? Uh, I, unfortunately I might, I told some people I was getting a dog. I think I was on Jordan duck and Conquest podcast and said I was getting a dog. And then I kind of reversed course on that. I was, it's just, where I live at college, I live in a fraternity house, so it's just not great for having a dog. And I know there's always going to be excuses, but I would just like to have a little bit more of a settled living <laughs> place before I get a puppy and really start doing training and, and committing to that. So it'll yeah. it'll be within the next year. I'm if at the end of next waterfowl season, I will get a dog a hundred percent. I know I've probably said that before, but um, I'm hoping that I'll be able to hunt with some more people who have dogs this fall maybe um hunt over hunt over dogs that aren't my own more so um i definitely like that but this fall i don't think i'll have i definitely won't have a retriever that's ready to hunt yeah i was gonna say man if you come out to our place you'll love it i mean that's the that's the best thing ever I don't, if i don't bring my gun and i just get to work my dog i mean i'll almost have just as much fun yeah so. I, i'd love to experience that because like i have no no reference of that i've you know, I've hunted with other people's dogs. I love hunting with other people's other people's dogs, but to have my own dog to actually hunt over, I feel like it could really change the way I see waterfowling. Hopefully, for the better. Oh man, yeah, you you get super lazy. You're like, I want to train my dog to be better, so I don't have to walk and go pick it up. <laughs> yep, for sure. So, for sure. Well, uh, so Hoke Outdoors. I know the uh, the old name used to be Virginia Outdoors Unlimited. What uh, what created that name change? Um, a couple things, you know, I've, I've been hunting outside Virginia more and more. So I felt like that, I just, I didn't want to be tied to Virginia hundred percent. YouTube actually will put you in a box. It's, it's kind of weird the way they do it, but if you make strictly waterfowl videos, it seems like they put you in a waterfowl box. If you tie yourself to a state through your name, through your videos, it seems like they'll show those videos to more of just kind of your target demographic, which might just be your states, your viewers in your state. So, um, that was a part of it and then also i just wanted to um kind of make it a little more personal and i'm hoping to hunt with my dad more um here going forward so that was a part of it too you know to have that have it the name tied to that to our relationship was was something i wanted to uh, make a priority yeah that's awesome then do you uh do you sell any gear you know shirts hats anything like that I have in the past. I sold uh, Virginia Outdoors Unlimited hats, but I haven't done anything since I changed the name. I'm planning on doing stuff this summer um, up at Corey's place. He has some stuff where we can print up there and do hats up there pretty easily. So definitely gonna gonna do another run of that this summer, but uh, nothing at the moment. I don't know, man. It could be kind of cool if you had uh, ho hats. that's what that's what matt's always telling me he's oh matt from hybrid fortune is always saying you need to make ho 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 happen like i don't i I just don't see how it's gonna work so i don't know i gotta think of either a logo or or figure something honestly i might still just make some virginia outdoors unlimited hats (laughs) because people in virginia seem to like those so um, they're supporting the guy 
Yep. Yep. That's exactly. So awesome. I think I think people like to be able to represent their state too. I think that's definitely a, a big pride thing. And I've always I I it I didn't love leaving the old name because it definitely did have a lot of um kind of personal pride with Virginia and being rep or trying to show the state in a positive light. So um, it definitely was a little bit bittersweet to leave that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's you know guys like me. I I wasn't. I wasn't informed on hunting in Virginia. I didn't really, you know, I figured probably some deer hunting, maybe fishing, different things like that. Had no idea, you know, guys actually duck hunted out there. I, I thought that was interesting and kind of went down the rabbit hole and I was like, holy crap, like you can actually kill some birds here. Yep. Yeah. That's been a lot of people's reactions, funnily, funny enough. <laughs> the, the East Coast definitely, uh, I wouldn't say it's overlooked because it, I don't think it compares to the other flyways in the slightest in terms of just overall bird numbers. But there is a lot of cool, cool things about the about the Atlantic Flyway, a lot of different diversity of hunting. So um, I'm pretty glad that I, I started there and got to try a lot of different things. Yeah. Well, so I got to ask, I was just, I, I get so jealous every time I see this. What's up with the black ducks in the Atlantic Flyway? Because you guys shoot the brakes off them. And I'm yet to even see one killed in Arkansas. Yeah, they're they're really just adapted for the East Coast. I mean, they're they're the East Coast quintessential duck, in my opinion. Um, you know, a hundred, two hundred years ago, black ducks outnumbered mallards in our flyway by a long shot. Apparently, um, oh, you, you from those reports, we had we had close to a couple million black ducks at one time. So. Um, they were really the, the dominant species on the East Coast. They just they do really well in that coastal marsh, salt marsh habitat. Um, we also see them spill over inland as well. They tend to do pretty well in the swamps. So um, we definitely have a lot of opportunity for them here in Virginia. I wouldn't say we're right at the center of their wintering grounds. Um, I, we're a little bit to the south, but we still see a, a decent amount of them come through. And they're always, always a treat. Every time we get a black duck in the spread, it's it, it feels a little more sweet than a mallard just because I think they're a little bit tougher to trick than a mallard. I don't know if it's just, there's more adults in the population or what. Um, but when you get a black duck in the spread, you've definitely done something right with your hide and your decoys. Oh man. Well, if I come out there, I don't care about any other duck. You put me on a black duck. <laughs> yep. I'll, I'll pack up and leave right after that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's what a lot of people, a lot of people want to come here for. And I'd say if you're going to go to one state forum, guys up in Delaware might hate me for this, but Delaware, New Jersey are where really the center of their wintering grounds are. Um, if people are going to go target them, that's where I would go target them. But we definitely have a lot, especially closer to the coast in Virginia. I'm booking my flight right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, you, and it's pretty easy when you're out targeting them. You know, you're typically close to the bay or the ocean, so you can go target sea ducks, divers, stuff like that, and really get a pretty cool combo hunt in if you got a few days. Now, do you guys do you guys have much opportunity? I mean, do you ever just randomly see any kind of sea ducks or anything like that? You know, anything out of the normal where you guys are at? Um, so I'm inland typically anywhere from 50 to a couple hundred miles um, depending on if I'm at home or at college so where I'm at we don't typically see much spillover you know we can really shoot any sort of diver duck puddle duck um, but we don't typically see the sea duck spill over but they, they shoot them really well on the Chesapeake Bay there's uh, you know their, their migration takes them right through there so you get a lot of surf scoters common scoters a few white wing scoters and then old squall as well out there yeah the one thing you'll never see in Arkansas <laughs> yeah yeah it seems like whenever they get lost out there it's always juvenile birds or hens 
Um, so if you if you really want to get one of those nice plumed out drakes, it seems like you do have to come and target the the areas where they're more abundant. But they do seem to get lost from time to time. And I know a couple guys who have shot them inland here in Virginia before on big lakes, especially when it gets cold. Yeah, we uh, we had one afternoon towards the very end of the season. It actually got we had a cooler winter this year than the past five six years, which was much appreciated finally. But uh, oh yeah, we we shot four canvas backs. Those are the first four canvas backs i've ever wow. seen in arkansas that it never happens and that we, is uh, awesome yeah we had, what sort of habitat were y'all hunting over so <laughs> oddly enough we killed uh the first one out of a buck brush hole wow we we, we saw this thing coming from a mile away <laughs> we were freaking out when i mean we knew it and as soon as we shot i uh-huh. mean I, everybody almost dove in after this thing and <laughs> then uh then one afternoon Three of uh three of the guys in our club hunted a different spot than we did. They we had some spill over into a uh, flooded bean field, and then the backside of it was all CRP. They said groups of just twenty of them were coming in. They're like, if we could shoot more than one, we could we could have shot a ten man limit. Man, are y'all only allowed one there? Y'all allowed two now? We're only allowed one. Really? Yeah, and I mean, you just you never. I've never seen one in the state of Arkansas until this year. Huh. I mean, I'm sure they have. I mean, they have to come through there because Lake Catahoula is, you know, one of the biggest wintering areas for them, especially in the Mississippi Flyway. But I'm guessing they probably just pass y'all over for the most part. But that's really cool. They they have a tendency to do that, make everybody dive in and, and start <laughs> bird claiming because, yeah, that that bull canvas back, it was something I had to chase for a long time until oh, I got my first one, too. Man, they're, they're just incredible birds, man. They're, they're just Hopefully next year we can make we can make it happen and shoot a few more. But uh, yeah, it sucked. The uh, one of my buddies, we're the only two that shot, and uh, he ended up claiming it. He's gonna get it mounted. Oh, he's like the <laughs> a few years back we killed two redheads at the same time, and uh-huh. I we shot one uh, that was fully plumed and one that was, it was the colors on it were so unique. I, I'll send you a picture when we get off the phone, but it it wasn't fully plumed and it wasn't it's hard to describe but the colors on it were so unique i did a dead mount with both of them side by side because it's not very often you see a mounted bird that isn't fully plumed or has Mm -hmm. off colors yeah and uh he rubbed that in my face immediately he's like yeah so you remember that redhead that you took from me and i was like i'll i've already paid for the mount the mount's done it's at my house i will bring this to your house if you give me that one bird i'll give you two birds for one and oh uh, man he said i no. guess he didn't take that trade <laughs> i wish i'm still working on it but uh he uh he says no every time oh man well you got to get your sooner rather than later then so you can you can get a better mount than he's got and then rub it back in his face uh, i just got to get a black duck so it really piss him off oh yeah yeah <laughs> yep. but well, so do y'all ever do y'all ever see many blue wings down around you now um, later in the season, or are they typically still pass through um, early? So it used to not be a big thing. I mean, it was somewhat—I don't want to say super rare, but it just wasn't as common as green wing teal. I mean, green green wing teal you see every day. Uh, but we had a spot a few years back. We had a conservation easement right next to us. And okay. earlier in the year, I mean, the most blue wing teal I've ever seen, even more than Kansas. Oh, man. Uh, just tons of them. And, I mean, it was it was the coolest thing. You'd sit on the four-wheeler and just watch them for hours. I mean, we couldn't hunt that property, but it bordered our place. And it was just 
big CRP field and man, it was incredible, but we shot a handful of them on that piece of property. And this year, I think we shot maybe a dozen or so. I got gotcha. uh, outside of the canvas back and the band. We uh, killed a buffalo head. That's pretty rare for us. You don't see that very often. And I, uh, I didn't, I didn't think about it at the time, but everyone's like, man, you should have gotten it mounted. And mm-hmm. after talking to everybody in the club, they're like, yeah, we've never even killed a buffalo head. So yeah, you totally should. <laughs> oh man. Well, if you want buffalo heads, come out to Virginia for those too. Cause we have, we can have more than you can probably handle. Yeah. We, we've got this spot and we, we named it the golden corral. Okay. Uh, you just, it's like a buffet, man. You, you never know what you're going to get every time you hunt it. And, it's totally different. <laughs> Those are my favorite kind of spots. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I love shooting green. Don't get me wrong, but man, uh, other birds put points on the board, so mm-hmm. I'm not gonna complain. But sure. yeah. So, I, for some reason, I thought you were a fishing guide up in Minnesota, and then I totally forgot that you were helping out uh, making calls and all that. But uh, you've also done stuff in Texas. I, you weren't a guide down there. You were just doing content for them yeah yeah so i was just basically working as a cameraman um they're doing their own video video series on youtube so that's what i was doing down there and i had a lot of fun with that and uh, and just, who are you filming for it was um it was for stanfield hunting outfitters are the same guys who have the big honker podcast okay yeah 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 yep. i knew that name sounded familiar well how was uh how was that experience you know did pretty cool operation down there is it pretty well well-run club yeah yeah it's a, jeff runs it really well he has a good guide service down there they mainly target speckle bellies they got a lot of cranes too some lessers so it was really cool it's like nothing i'd ever experienced before hunting the peanut country uh you know you get to see tens of thousands of birds coming off the roost typically every day so it was really really special to get to experience that and um it kind of opened my eyes to texas waterfowl hunting i'd never really thought of texas before much you know being down at the end of the central flyway but uh, it's definitely been the place i've been eager to go back to since i got the opportunity to go out there the first time oh yeah i mean i it's one of these days i'll make it down my buddy uh cory cook with rod and gun outdoors he was down in houston and then zane howard from loaded timber lives down in atlanta texas and yeah, I'd love to make it down one time. I mean, I, there's no telling where we'd end up hunting. It's either on the coast in a cattle pond on a creek. Hey, there's there's no telling. I mean, those two guys, they hunt the most unique spots, but man, they're always on the birds. Oh yeah, and uh, I love hearing their stories. But did uh, when that you were Texas down there, coast? Oh, what oh, were you so- gonna say? No, you go ahead, man. I was just gonna say that Texas coast area is definitely pretty magical. I got to spend a couple days down there um, when I was in Texas, right around Christmas time that year, and uh, it's just an area where there's a ton of waterfowling culture. You know, it seems like it's a little declining a little bit with the loss of the rice they they acreage they have there, but still a really really cool area. And there's <laughs> there's no doubt they have a lot of birds coming through there still. Yeah, and, it, and it's funny too because you know we're we're so used to targeting greenheads and you know down there they, they still have their fair amount of greenheads but they're like man we, we've got more pintails than anywhere else in the u.s mm-hmm. yeah them and then the central valley of california i think the central valley of california probably has the trump card on them in terms of the total number of pintails. oh yeah but they, sure. they definitely have a lot there on that texas coast oh i mean california with all the jasmine rice farming i mean oh, yeah. it's awesome it is incredible but well uh while you were down in texas 
I got to know, did you, uh, did you have any opportunities on a cinnamon teal? I did not. I only ever saw one once. It was actually on the last day that I was working down there. Um, I had to leave at like 10 o'clock that morning. And so I was filming. We were in, it's uh, basically a salt cedar uh, playa where I was at. There's this, this chain of playa lakes there. And that's a big reason why that why the spec migration stops through there, and a lot of them actually winter there. So there are a lot of pintails in there too. This this one salt cedar plow we were hunting mainly pintails, um, and then they always shoot a couple cinnamon teal in there every year. We they'd shot two the year I was down there, and I'm walking out at ten o'clock on the last morning, going back to my truck early, and I jumped one cinnamon, and I don't think they got a shot at it. But um, oh man, complete! I I didn't think they'd be <laughs> as recognizable as they were. It, when it jumped up, it was like a black duck. When you see a black duck coming and it's in in the sunlight, you know if it's if it's just silhouetted, it's, it's tough to tell. But when they're in the sunlight, it's black ducks are you know, uh, unmistakable. And it was kind of that way with that cinnamon. I was as soon as it got, up, I was like, oh, that's a cinnamon deal for sure. <laughs> oh and I, man! All I had was my camera that morning. I didn't even have a gun, so there was no way I could have shot even if I had had been ready. Yeah, man, that's a uh, that's another dream duck. I don't know, I don't know which one I'd take. I'd probably go the cinnamon over the black duck, but man, I, I want both of them just as bad. Yeah. Yeah. The cinnamon's probably the biggest last one on my list. I think it's the only, only puddle duck I haven't shot now besides a blue wing. Um, so and I guess I'm model ducks. So definitely <laughs> I want to ch- check it off. Let's, it, I'd really like to go out to California and do it. That Texas area, it seems like they kind of rely more on reverse migration versus they seem to come through California a little bit more dependably. So I'd definitely like to go try it out there. Well, if uh, if you come to Arkansas this year, man, there's a decent – I mean, it, if you come around December, odds are we could probably put you on some uh, blue wing. Yeah, I'd love that. I'd love that. And I mean, by December, they have pretty pretty solid colors, I would think. Oh yeah, it's just uh, when it's pouring down rain and you're uh, <laughs> you're just trying to get in and get out. You don't uh-huh. preserve them as well. So yeah, the one all the ones we shot this year, man, they just it was a nightmare getting out. I, the first day we had, I think we shot like six in a row. Dang, man, it just poured down rain oh. the whole time. And by the time we got the side by side loaded up, we were all just beat, and mm-hmm. we just wanted to go, we just wanted to go home. <laughs> But do they typically fly around y'all when it's rainy or is, is that it just kind of happenstance circumstance that it turned out that way man so it's uh you have to see it if you make it down we've got this one spot that's it's the most unique piece of our property uh we call it the round pond and uh the landowner swears that it's not man-made but when you look at it on a map you're like there is no way that this thing just randomly was created. It's like the most perfect little circle. And, uh, man, you just, every time you go there, there's always birds, a little backstory. It was a, it was a huge piece of property. It's been this guy's family for like 10 generations and, uh, they never hunted it forever. He, he grew up hunting other parts of the property, but they never hunted this certain area he just this guy liked to pull up to the farm watch birds and sit in his truck and say oh look at that got all the birds you know and uh mm-hmm. and it's just it, it's like a sanctuary essentially but every time you go there man it, if you if you sneak in just right and you get in there before the sun comes up and you're quiet there's no telling what you're gonna shoot but 
certain days, man, you'll shoot a bunch of teal or you'll shoot a bunch of mallards or you'll shoot a bunch of gadwall. It just, uh, you never know what you're going to get. Oh man. I, yeah, <laughs> that good old mixed bag spot. Like I said, <laughs> yeah. Those are my favorite. I just, I love that, that, uh, that mystery of you never know what you're going to shoot in those kind of spots. Yeah. And that, never that's where it's going to fly in next. Yeah. The, the best day was, uh, we were at, riding around the truck with this guy and he's like, man, look at all those mouths. <laughs> and they were clearly gadwalls. Like, <laughs> man, you might need to check your glasses. There's uh, a, <laughs> those, those definitely aren't mouths, but yeah, it's a lot of birds. <laughs> oh man. But y'all yeah. go in and take a crack at them before long after that. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, uh, we, we had one of the best seasons we've had this year, uh, over the past few years. I wish people would document their birds a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, man, it's just tough. You know, you get back to the house, you want to take a shower, take a nap, then you start cooking or, you know, having a bonfire. So I've, you know, I've had a log book. I'd tri- pretty much log every hunt, write down a quick story or you know not, not maybe not story but hey this is what happened on this day neil fell in hagan <laughs> got his tooth busted on a gun barrel, you know whatever the case may be yep uh you know just because down the road i want to be able to let my grandkids look back at it and be like man my my grandpa ethan he did this and all this but uh yeah it, it it's a ton of fun i bet yeah those clo- i feel like having a personal logbook is probably the i think the most important thing in terms of learning from from learn, learning the patterns of birds, learning the migration. I know just within a couple of years of logging or, or taking logs, I was able to kind of figure out when the birds were coming through in my area. But then having that, uh, having a club log book would, I think, be really cool for a club and to keep those numbers and, and all the stories. If you can get everybody on board with that, that'd be really cool. Oh, yeah, it, it's great, man. I've, I've all or throughout duck season, everyone's always taking pictures and, Mm-hmm. right after duck season's over i'll go to walgreens print them all off and i'll tape them to that page you know whatever day we shot these birds or if somebody did something funny but we uh there's a tradition at our place whenever you come we've got this ridiculous wig and uh <laughs> we make every guest wear the wig that night and then take a shot of whiskey <laughs> oh man and it, it's always best if you can get the picture right when they're taking the shot because their face is just so disgusted. But, oh, man, it's so funny. Oh, getting the party started early. That's a good one. I've never never heard of that before at Duck Camp. But that's, uh, that's I, don't, I don't know how – I don't even know how it started. But uh, somehow it turned into a tradition and we're keeping it going. It's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, when you got your kids doing it in 20 years, it'll be even better. <laughs> yeah no doubt about that but, well uh do you what projects do you have lined up for this summer you got any off-season projects or millet ponds kind of your primary focus or what uh nothing huge i do want to kind of get my truck set up to be able to do some truck camping out of it this fall you know go out out west or, or really wherever in the country and go spend a week on the road hunting an area i think that would be pretty cool and then besides that yeah i'd like to do Maybe a millet pond or two here. Uh, I don't know. I have to look into the Minnesota regulations. I know you can't plant plant and flood corn up there. I believe millet's fair game, and I think natural um, moist soil is fair game. So I'll have to kind of weigh my options and and see exactly what I want to do up there. But I'm hoping to do a little bit of a little bit of management up there for sure. Heck yeah, man. I mean, it it shouldn't be hard with that soil up there. I mean, it has a the one thing you got to watch is 
the temperatures. You know, your yep. nighttime temperatures are really going to dictate the speed of the growth and all that. But if, uh, if you want to speed that process up, one thing I, I wanted to say to you, I wish I would have said this to you forever ago when you first started the millipond. If I were you, I would have drained all that water off and then I would have taken a torch and burnt all those lily pads, let them all dry out, burn it, and then all, you know, all the ashes, man, that would mm-hmm. create so many nutrients for the soil and that would really speed the process up of, you know, whatever you're going to plant. Yeah, that's uh, that's really smart. I never thought of that before. A couple of people had said spray them, which that was going to be our, our course if we ever did go after them. But I didn't think about burning them at all. And I, that, I think that would probably be the best way to do it and get the most out of them. No, oh, man, it, it's uh, it's funny when you see somebody from out of town come into Arkansas, uh-huh. if especially if you're driving through there at night, all you see is fire and smoke. And, uh, you know, we, we obviously know what it is, but farmers burn their fields and then they disc it. I mean, mm-hmm. it, man, it's awesome for the soil. But, it one, it makes quick work for you if you get one of those uh, propane torches, let all that water out, let those uh, lily pads dry up, and then hit it with a torch, burn it. Yeah, it, all it's doing is benefiting your soil. Yeah, I don't. It would only take a couple of weeks too with the temperatures we get here in the summer. I mean, you drain it out in May or June, and they're going to be crispy in a couple of weeks. Oh, dude, that video of you—you were sweating bullets. I could, tell, <laughs> I could tell how hot it was just from seeing you. Oh yeah, it's always, and I tell people who have never been to Virginia before, like the people in Minnesota, that I'm, I was like, it's the humidity that gets you down there. It can oh, be yeah. 80, 85 degrees, but then you have 78 percent humidity, and you're not sweating, and it's just miserable. Oh, and it's funny that the guys in Minnesota are like, oh, man, it, it's going to be a doozy today. It's going to be 80 degrees. <laughs> yeah, but y'all don't have humidity. You you don't even know. <laughs> yeah, I got I got unlucky up there last summer. I think they had, like, the part of Minnesota I was in, they had one of their hottest summers on record. It actually did get a little bit humid in times. And, then, of course, right when we went out to North Dakota, right there, middle of North middle of august it was just so hot and so humid it's luckily it wasn't as humid as minnesota had been but it was like 100 degrees during the day so i just just got the timing wrong with being up there last year i guess (laughs) northern weather did not like me and my plans yeah um and it's uh it's funny i've been i this guy's got to think i'm crazy but uh there's a youtube channel and the guy's name is ted uh-huh. It's not yes. like Ted I Outdoors. I know exactly who you're talking about. Okay, yeah. So it doesn't. It's just Ted. It doesn't say Ted Outdoors or Ted Hunting or Ted Waterfowl. Just Ted. Mm-hmm. And I, man, I've been. I've emailed him several times. I've reached out to him. I don't think he has a Facebook or Instagram, but it's like, dude, I want to come out and help you because he's he's kind of doing what you and me have talked about a bunch. Is he's trying to develop his property and make it better. I'm like, dude, I'll I'll pay for the gas. I don't care. You don't have to pay me. I just want to come up. <laughs> and help you because it's such a cool project and you're so involved in it. I mean, kind of similar to you. You found a spot, you saw a few ducks and you're like, how can I improve this? Let's make it better. And, yeah. uh, and yeah, he's, he's done it on a, on an even bigger scale than I couldn't even imagine at this point. I mean, he definitely, he's done a lot with it and, um, it's been fun to follow along. That's honestly my favorite, favorite part about the habitat management is you just, you're so invested in it, whether you're doing it or watching it every time that there's a new episode, you're, you're learning something new. It's a status update. So to, and you can really do it every year. It's like, it doesn't get old. Like some other, other things do every year. You try something a little bit different and, and you see the results and you learn and you try to do it better next year. Oh, absolutely. And that's down the road. That's my plan is getting into property development, just, got a long history of it unfortunately i started out as doing it for deer hunting and turkey hunting but 
as a as of the past seven eight years man i've been all in on on duck hunting and trying to create habitat and figuring out ways to improve my hunting or the property i'm hunting mm-hmm. it so. definitely seems like you're in the, the mecca area for it. like if i was <laughs> to pick one area where duck farming seems to be the most prevalent it definitely seems like that western tennessee eastern um, arkansas southeastern missouri triangle is, is right up there yeah tennessee nashville unfortunately is not uh not what it used to be back in the day i i think nashville long time ago was probably incredible you can just you can see all these spots that they're building on now that used to be wetlands and you have to know there's birds there i mean my buddy's got a pretty good sized farm just minutes outside of nashville and he farms 2200 acres and the amount of birds that go into just this small little swamp dude i mean we smoke them it's a it's like a joke oh man you could stand out in the middle of the pond i mean it's not even a pond it's just literally just a little swamp area in between a cornfield but and he's like there at his place we do and then i across from my old house i've got a six-man blind on a uh on a 10-acre pond and you can shoot three or four it's nothing crazy but if you want an easy hunt before work it's worth walking across the street to okay yeah so I, I don't you don't have to wear waders and wear jeans and, and pour a cup of coffee and walk across the street and go uh-huh yeah, so I would it's think, not bad. I've heard that the I don't know if it's more eastern Tennessee. I mean, I guess I need to look at the map again. I would think you will get a little bit of spillover of black ducks there just because they do seem to there seems to be at least a population of them that definitely winters in the southern Appalachian area, eastern Tennessee, western um, North Carolina and kind of western Virginia because it seems like they get a few out there every year. The guys I know in that area. Yeah, I'm. Man, I I I could only tell you one guy I know that shot a black duck. Really? Wow. I mean, we just you never see him. Huh. And uh it's like black duck, widgeon, canvas back, cinnamon teal, you never see him. Never in Arkansas. It's just it's just the majority of the birds, greenheads, gadwall, pintails, spoonies, depending on what part of Arkansas you're in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and do you get any spoonies on y'all's club and do y'all shoot them we shoot them uh <laughs> but man this year we didn't i bet we killed less than a dozen i mean we you wow. see them but we just and we're picking out other birds instead but yeah i had a had a place near uh wiener arkansas if you know where that is and Not off uh, the top of my head it's kind of you know where have you ever heard of claypool yeah. So it's not far from Claypool. Okay. Yeah. But I got you. The most spoonies I've ever seen in my life, most most I've ever seen killed at one club in my life, uh-huh. was Wiener, Arkansas. And man, it I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that's why I don't want to hunt that area anymore. It's just, <laughs> it's the spoonie capital. So of the many spoonies. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I haven't got tired of them yet. I, I don't know if that point will come. I feel like it probably will. But every time I get one, it's still special because, like, we just – we never see them where I'm at in Virginia. They get them a little bit on the coast. But, like, if you see one where I'm at, it's it's a real trophy. So. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah. So I've, been, <laughs> I've enjoyed getting to go out to Texas and chase them and see a few more of them out there. Yeah. Oh, man. Is, uh, is, is duck hunting popular in Virginia? I mean, I, I just – so curious is it like a big deal or popular kind of thing I, out there i don't think it's anywhere like it is like arkansas louisiana um 
like that sort of duck hunting culture. I say that's a little bit more Maryland. Maryland, you have um, you know waterfowling museums. You have the the World Calling Championship in the East and Goose Calling Championship. So um, there's definitely a little, uh, definitely some history in the area. I'd t- I think we have around fifteen thousand duck hunters. So again, not not the numbers y'all see out there. But uh, it definitely is popular. I'd say it might be growing in our state. I'd venture a guess to say that. It, we have a lot of military guys who come here, um, stationed in like the Norfolk area, who come from other states where duck hunting might be more popular, Arkansas, stuff like that. So I think we have some of that kind of transplant duck hunters. And then uh, it definitely is, is popular on the coast more in general, I'd say. That's just you have more diversity out there. You can go sea ducks, divers, puddle ducks, um, snow geese even at times. So uh, it definitely I'd say that's kind of the hub of Virginia waterfowl hunting. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to say I, I was interested. You said snow geese. I was curious if, uh, if Virginia had many snow geese or specks or if it's just Canadians. It's really mainly just Canada's, um, you know, we do have some snows pushed through. There's an area not far from, um, where my parents live, where it's, I'd say it's probably the Western most population of, of the snow geese that come through Virginia that reliably winter. They've been wintering like two to 3000 the last few years. And I think that's just cause they have a lot of corn there and a lot of safe water. Um, but mainly they come right down the, right down the, the Atlantic flyway, uh, the coast mainly, and they're going down to North Carolina. So you can catch them coming through, you can catch them going back up. Um, but mainly they're wintering down in North Carolina or up in Maryland and Delaware. Yeah. Uh, I wish Arkansas had Canadians, man. And I wish I could remember the documentary or info or video about why they don't migrate through Arkansas anymore. It's Uh a, it's a weird story, man. Like it is in the past seven years, I think I've, Outside of golf course geese, they don't count. I think I've maybe seen 10. Dang. When we were driving through Arkansas this past year, going out to Texas, we were driving past Pond. We were driving through Arkansas, and we weren't seeing anything. Not Like, literally not a single bird yet. I was like, I bet the first bird we're going to be a, see a specs. And we drove by this little cattle pond, and I look over. I'm like, oh, yeah, there's specs for sure. And then we get a little bit further down the road where the sun sh- was on a little bit. I was like, oh, my God, those are Canada's. Like, I didn't think those no kid down here. No, man, you, yeah. you just don't see them. It was like a dozen on just a little farm pond. We were kind of starting to get up into, like, the where you get a little bit more rolling hills there. So I'm guessing they're probably a little bit more pre- prevalent out there where you probably have some more um, resident populations. For sure. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. But I'm definitely jealous of the specs y'all get. We don't, we don't get any specs here on the East Coast. Hardly at all. I mean, you'll you'll hear of one being killed here or there um, every season, but we don't get them reliably at all. Don't get cranes reliably. It does seem like they might be showing up. Both those species might be showing up a little bit more. I don't know if that's just social media kind of distorting that. I think it does distort the the idea that birds are maybe shifting flyways and stuff like that. Um, maybe more people are just posting that they're seeing specs or uh, specs and cranes. We can't. I don't think we, we can't kill cranes. We can kill specks, and they just count towards our dark goose limit. So uh, I've heard of a couple of people killing specks, but I hope we do get more specks and more cranes on the East Coast in the future. I think that would be really cool and just add a little bit to the goose hunting. If you if it was like Kansas where, you know, you never know when a speck is going to show up in a Canada, uh, <laughs> Canada flock, yeah. get, uh, just a rogue speck flock. I don't know if I would love being covered up in specks the whole year. I do like Canada's too. Um, obviously if you couldn't have a huge resident Canada population like we have and still get specs, that'd be the best of both worlds. Um, but 
I, I definitely like the Kansas that we got here. Yeah, well, the, the worst is when you try and take a nap after you get done with the hunt and you can't even shut your brain off because you'll just have a field full of thousands and thousands oh. of specs. <laughs> and it, that just – it keeps playing in your mind. Oh, you yeah. can't sleep. It's the most miserable <laughs> oh, yeah. way to try and take a nap. <laughs> yep, that whole first week I was down in Texas, every night I tried to go to sleep, it was just the spec call and hearing the specs <laughs> in my head. And I was just like in the shower no matter where I went, I was hearing them in my ears. And it got, it got old pretty quickly. Yeah, you can't shake it. No, uh, no. And I know uh, – I know some people who like my buddy Mikey. He lives out in Kansas. He absolutely hates them. Like when he sees Specs versus Kansas, he's going for the Kansas every single time. <laughs> oh, the worst is if you're sitting in a pit and somebody's setting a spec call, you you won't be able to hear for the next two days. Yeah, it takes a lot of talent to blow one of those, though. I never realized how hard of a call it was, that was to blow. It just seems to take a lot more back pressure. I oh, definitely yeah. was not able was not able to get it down in the short time I was down there. Yeah, it's all about the back pressure and how you manage it. Mm-hmm. But well, so I, I know you've hunted quite a few different states. Have you noticed any difference between, you know, flyways hunting a little bit differently, you know, versus like Atlantic Flyway, Mississippi Central, and all that? Yeah, I'd I'd definitely say there's a difference. There's no doubt about that. I I don't. I guess I haven't hunted the Mississippi Flyway, only the Central and Pacific. Um, I can say the Central and Pacific, from my limited experience, they have just a ton more birds than the Atlantic Flyway. That just could be maybe I'm in a bad area in Virginia. I was in a really good area <laughs> out there. Um, I have a super small sample size on that. But I'd say that's probably it's probably a big multiple factor in terms of how many more birds they have out there, like maybe 5, 10, 15 times as many birds um just from what i've seen the amount of birds you see flying in general and then it seems like out there they fly longer like in virginia we're used to 30 minute hunts when when the when you see that time hit sunrise you're probably done shooting you might catch a few stragglers but especially if you're hunting wood ducks and mallards your your hunt's going to be early versus out there when i've hunted you have birds flying clear up until noon most of the time really yeah i was gonna say it Wood ducks, yeah, they uh, they definitely clear out pretty early, and then but you know Arkansas seems like eleven o'clock is a pretty late morning. Yeah, you know, there's there's definitely lunchtime guys. You don't hear about it very often, but some guys will go out there from eleven to two, and they have really good days. But it all depends on what the moon's doing, what the weather's like, and mm-hmm. what part of Arkansas you're in. Because the weird thing about Arkansas compared to other states is. You know, Kansas, for instance, you know, the whole state, it seems like the migration's always on. Yeah. Arkansas is very divided. You, there's certain areas where there's micro flyways. You know, the, you want to say the whole state's, you know, essentially part of the flyway, but there's micro flyways. To me, that seems like you could be 10 miles away and have the worst spot ever. But it, if you're right in that little sweet spot, you're going to have birds consistently moving through that area the whole time. For sure. For sure. It's the same way here in Virginia. You know, there are a few areas where I've found just in the past year where you can hunt up until 11, 12 o'clock and you'll catch a late flight of birds, whether it's a low spot or, or it's just kind of that good of a food source. But even our mallards and black ducks, um, a lot of times they're flying in that first 30 minutes of light. We don't we don't seem to have as much of like a nine o'clock, 10 o'clock flight as a lot of states have, in my opinion, especially a lot of the western states. And I think that's a large part of that is because we don't have field feeding. I mean, ducks here on these coasts, uh, unless you're up in New York and it gets cold or um, maybe Pennsylvania, you're very rarely going to find field feeding ducks. I mean, I, 
Virginia. So to not have those birds reliably go out to a field every morning and then be coming back to water, um, I think just causes our, our patterns to be a, a bit different than you see out West. Yeah. And, and that's kind of one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Are there, you know, are there many farmers out there that flood fields? I mean, I, I, I know that may not be a standard farm practice out there, but are there flooded fields out there for duck hunting or, you know, just you guys just hoping that it rains and water gets up? No, I mean, there's definitely, there's impoundments. I'd say closer to the coast, you see more impoundments. Um, it's not on a huge scale. I, I wouldn't say it's anything like Arkansas. I'd say it's a little more Virginia versus North Carolina is kind of like Missouri versus Arkansas. You know, everybody thinks of Arkansas as like the Mecca of, of the Mississippi flyway. I'd say it's the same way with North Carolina. You have a ton of impoundments down there. They winter a ton of birds, but we're kind of the same way in Missouri as the birds have to come through us. A lot of the birds have to come through us to get down there. So we get some shots at them and people definitely do flood corn, um, flood millet, flood. I'd, I'd say corn and millet are the biggest two moist soil. We really, I don't see much flooding of soybeans at all around here. Um, but it doesn't seem to work as well around here. I think the reason is we have, I'd say out here, our limiting factor is birds, and out west, the limiting factor a lot of times it seems like is, wa- is water. That might not be the case in Arkansas, but you go further west, and there's just not as much water out there. So the birds have to go go to where the food remains versus we have so many natural swamps, ponds, neighborhood ponds, di- retention ponds that the birds really don't have to go to the corn. Um, and, and when they do, a lot of times it seems like they're on a nocturnal pattern, no matter what the moon's doing. I know a lot of guys who have planted impoundments and they, they kill birds for the first couple of years, especially if they didn't hunt it the first year. Um, they, it still definitely can be effective. I mean, there's one group of guys near one of the spots we hunt where they didn't hunt it at all. The first year we went over there, we're like, dang, they got a whole whole flooded field full of corn and they didn't even have a blind in there yet. And next year they built a blind, hunted it twice, and burned the barrels off twice. <laughs> um, and I was like, if you're going to do it, you have to do it that way. Because if you hunt birds, you just put too much pressure on them, hunt, hunt them once a week over flooded impoundments here. It seems like they're going to go on that nocturnal pattern, and they'll be coming in five, ten minutes after sunset. They seem to time it up really well, really quickly. Man, I, I'm glad you brought that up. So that that was a pretty hot topic. You know, I don't know if you follow along with Jim Ronquist or State of Waterfowl or mm-hmm. anything like that. But, man, two years ago, I mean, that could have pissed you off in a second. But nocturnal flights, that was, like, that was one of the biggest things to me. We noticed it every hunt, man. Every mm-hmm. every morning, as soon as you pull up, they'd get up, they were gone. Right at sunset, they'd come back. It was just, man, it was super frustrating. And I know Jim Ronquist talks quite a bit about it. State of Waterfowl talks about it quite a bit. It's real interesting, but did you guys notice that two years ago or even this year? I'd say we've noticed it every year. I mean, our birds, it we seem really dependably. We get that November, December full moon, and our birds go nocturnal a lot of times, no matter what they're what sort of food source they're hitting. And when they hit that December full moon and they're getting pressured all throughout late November during a November split, they hit that December full moon and they're going nocturnal on their food sources. So we've seen it really ever since I've been waterfowl hunting. I, I wouldn't say I've seen an increase in the last couple of years, but I also I don't hunt a ton of flooded grain fields, really not not that many at all. So um, I'd say if I hunted those more, I might have might have seen that uptick. But I know pretty much everybody who I know who's hunted flooded impoundments, unless they're really managing their pressure or only hunting rainy days and snowy days, they see that nocturnal pattern. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, so it sounds like you guys are hunting quite a bit of public land. Is there, I mean, is that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say mainly public, 
public swampy areas, some rivers, um, creeks, stuff like that. Um, but ma- mainly the swampy stuff. And we have a good bit of public land out here. Uh, I, a lot That's of what our I was public, about. Our, a lot of our public land, you know, if you look at our total public land acreage, we're up there in the top half of the total in terms of all the states. Um, but a lot of our public land is out in the western part of the state, um, Blue Ridge Mountain area. So I, I'd say if you looked at the total amount of acreage we have versus how much is actually actively managed for waterfowl, you'd be looking at one or two percent. Um, oh, wow. so we don't have a lot that's managed for waterfowl. There's still, you know, a lot of WMAs, state forests, t- tidal water, um, core land, you know, there's all sorts of opportunities if you're willing to travel a little bit and, and look past the WMAs because the WMAs do seem to get the majority of the pressure from what I've seen. Um, but there's definitely public land opportunities, but it's mainly going to be on natural stuff, swamps, creeks, stuff like that, instead of, instead of managed areas, our managed areas are mainly run through the quota hunt system, which is a, a draw. Yeah. But yeah. And, and I was, I was curious about that too. You know, what's uh, the public land hunting situation out like there? Like, is it like Arkansas where you're doing boat races every morning and you're sleeping at the boat ramp or, you know, is it pretty laid back? I'd, I mean, you can always go out to a WMA and probably find a, a little secluded, you know, beaver pond, swamp area where you're not going to see too much pressure, especially on a weekday. But then we also have rivers, stuff like that. We have blind laws, which I probably don't want to get into. That could be a whole 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> but um, so that kind of that dominates the way that our title um, stuff is hunted, our rivers and stuff like that. But there's still, I, you know, I'm sure there's still boat races going on somewhere. Definitely not prevalent like it is in Arkansas. Um, not well known. We don't have the green tree <laughs> reservoirs or anything like that. Um, but if you want good waterfowl hunting, I'd say apply to the quota hunt system and then uh, just check out the, uh, the it's, I think it's called Find Wildlife VA. Um, basically, it's a map that the our game and inland fisheries department put together and they show all the public land in the state at literally everything. So not just the WMAs and they break it down pretty well. And I'd say just focus on what's closest to you and start there and work out. That's awesome. Yeah. I was going to say, I man, we've had some questionable th- times where you have to get on Onyx and hunt wise and you have to know exactly where you're at because you may be riding a fine line. Yep. And uh, sometimes it's not always marked as clear as you'd hope. Yeah. And I, I tend to run into that a lot with my kayak because of the blind laws. Um, basically, a short summary is that you can't hunt within 500 yards of a licensed blind. Um, and so when I'm hunting tidal water out of my kayak, I have to be 500 yards from uh, a licensed blind. If there is one in the area, I can't. If I'm within, if I'm 498 yards, it's a basically a high-level misdemeanor. I mean, they really, they can, they can, make it pretty tough on you for hunting too close to a blind. So we have to be careful with that. And then uh, just houses and everything. Cause a lot of our, that's a big problem that we're running into is a lot of our rivers are being developed. You get houses there. So you don't want to be pissing off landowners first thing, rain and shot on the roofs and stuff like that. Uh, you got to watch out for Karen's. Yep. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> we got plenty of those in the suburbs. No shortage of those in Virginia. Yeah. No kidding. We got the same thing here. <laughs> but... I'm sure. So I know you've kind of, you've kind of mentioned it a few times, kind of getting out, you know, maybe possibly leaving Virginia at some point, but as your hunting career develops, do you think you'll stay in Virginia? Do you think you may move on, you know, try out a different state or what? Uh, I think I'm going to spend this fall more up in Minnesota. I think I'm going to come back for the first week of September to Virginia and, uh, 
and do some of the kind of dove hunting, early season goose hunting that I really love around here. But then after that, I think I'm going to head back up north and uh, do a little bit of traveling. I'm planning on doing YouTube more full-time this year, maybe not completely full-time, like hunting every day throughout the season. Um, I still have, to, still have to make some money doing a real job. But uh, I'd definitely like to be able to hunt more this fall. So I think I'll spend a decent bit of the fall probably just traveling, hunting, and uh, trying to learn and explore new areas. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, like I said earlier, man, take advantage of it while you can. Yeah, that's, I definitely, <laughs> I've taken that to heart. I've been told that by so many different people. And they're like, man, you know, you're, you're young. Take advantage of it. Go do exactly what you want to do. Explore, see the country. So that's, that's what I want to do. And uh, to kind of go back to that question of how is the Atlantic flyway different from the Western flyways, there's just so much less pressure out there too, I'm sure like anywhere you can find your pockets of pressure, but it's just so much more land, lower population density. I just enjoy hunting out there more, just getting away from people, really getting to see cool sites. And uh, I just want to be able to experience more of that. Yeah. You know, you're in the right place when you don't have cell service. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that, that's my goal, man. It, <laughs> when I'm, when I'm going, I, I don't want to be bothered by work. I don't want to be bothered by anything. Yeah. Yeah, for I, I like to have a little bit so I can, you know, I can get some stuff done, upload YouTube videos every now and again. But, um, yeah, definitely getting out there in the boonies is exactly what I want to do when I'm <laughs> out on a hunting trip. Yeah, that's where I find the most peace in life. Yep. Uh, did uh, I, I got to ask, I meant to ask you earlier, when uh, when you guys were messing with the millet pond, did you end up building any of those wood duck boxes? Yeah, I, I kept built... commenting on, on your YouTube saying, hey, man, you, you got to build some some wood duck boxes. Yep. So I got two out there last year. I got them out a little bit late. I think I got them out right at the beginning of April. Um, so they didn't have, I had some sort of Tweety bird nest in one of them. So I guess they got some use. They might've actually been a bluebird, which I'd be pretty happy about because they're one of our native species that's kind of been hurt by the invasives. So uh, they had a little bit of usage. And then this year I pulled my trail cameras from out there because unfortunately I've done this two years in a row. I <laughs> left my trail cameras out close to the pond. Water came up and flooded them. So I had to take them out, dry them out. I need to see if they're still working. But I'm hoping that at least one of the boxes will get some uh, get some usage. I put a few new shavings in there. So um, there's always wood ducks <laughs> on that area in the spring. I think if you know, since they were out there the whole year now, they might be used to them. And hopefully I'll go back in a couple of weeks and find some some hatched out eggs. Uh, that'd be awesome. I was going to say, I, I, I've i <laughs> Cut a little bit of slack from it in the past, but man, every time you do it, it it's the easiest thing. It, you can build one of those in under an hour. Oh, put yeah. it out. They lay two clutches of eggs every year. But man, every place I've ever put those things out, I've seen a return on it immediately. Oh, for sure. And for sure. Uh, I I tell guys all the time, they're like, "How can I get more ducks in my area?" I'm like, "May not be mallards, but you know, if you want some more ducks, you know, it's motion on the water." Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I haven't tried out the mallard hen houses yet, but may try that out at some point. But it's just it's too easy to build in the wood duck boxes. But I tell people all the time, and I was glad to see that you put some out. Yeah, I think I, I honestly I think they're the best way to imprint ducks. I mean, if you're having them in hen houses, if you're having hen wood duck lay two clutches of eggs in a house every year, I mean that's a lot of a lot of chicks that grow up in that area and they're going to probably come back there looking for nesting habitat as well so oh um, yeah i mean yeah and if you think about it in the sense of let's say they lay 38 or 28 to 30 eggs every time they they lay eggs half Mm -hmm. of them get killed from predators whatever so that's 15 
you know, if they're doing it twice a year, that's 30 wood ducks. Those 30 wood ducks may bring one extra wood duck with them. So, that, you know, that's 60 wood yep. ducks. <laughs> it's, yep. it's like, why would you not do that? Mm-hmm. Definitely the potential for exponential growth. Oh, man. I I hate to say it. I'm, your videos are still playing in my background in my office. But <laughs> you guys just killed a freaking black duck. You got to be kidding me. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Man. Well, yeah, I only got – it was weird. Like, they come in come in spurts for me. I shot, like, four or five th- two years ago, and then last year I didn't kill any. I was out in Texas for most of the season, so that kind of figured. But still, you know, typically we'll run into a couple in November, and then uh, this year I got, like, six or seven of them, so the most I'd ever run into. So hopefully that will continue and I'll be able to get back to the East Coast and get on a few of them, especially if I can get up into the area where they tend to winter a little more. Yeah, man, that'd be awesome. That would be awesome. I, I really, I, I, something I've never done for them before. You know, I've, they've always, when I've shot them, they've been incidental on a, a swamp mallard wood duck shoot. You know, you're those two. A black duck comes in. Um, you know, just happen happenstance but you can go out and really target them in the salt marshes and hunt reliably on certain title patterns um and i'd really like to go experience that and learn a little bit more about it yeah the spot you guys are in in this video you're literally hunting like <laughs> a dead swamp there's just like trees knocked over and it, it's oh yeah cool. <laughs> yeah yeah well, that, i guess that was probably the one where i hit the deer i haven't seen that part yet oh that <laughs> I didn't get it on camera, unfortunately. That would have been like, uh, I've been unlucky with that a couple of times. I guess that probably wouldn't have been good. My insurance company probably wouldn't have liked that, but um, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but I, that would have been pretty funny if I was had the camera rolling when I had punched that deer. Yeah, no kidding. Well, Thomas, uh, who uh, who who are some of like the most influential people to you in the waterfowl community? Ooh. Are you talking about so like okay influential to me? Uh, definitely, I'd have to say Corey, uh, I, the guy I work for in Minnesota. He runs DRC, and uh, he he's just taught me so much about the industry, about running a business, about hunting in general. So uh, he's been huge. I mean, obviously my my dad he he's been you know kind of a, a slow transition over into duck hunting, but I have to you know thank him a lot because he he definitely has developed a love for it i'd say because i got into it i don't think he would have been into it if i hadn't tried it out so he definitely has made an effort to enjoy it for me so um them probably and guys i i've done videos with freelance duck hunting i I watched his videos before i ever even really got into duck hunting so um he's been a big part of how i how how i approach waterfowl hunting and look at waterfowl hunting that's awesome yeah i was gonna say it, it it seems like you're on the right track and i'm excited to see you know what the future holds for you because yeah you know your videos aren't just killing birds it's a little bit of conservation it's a little bit of property development and a little bit about scouting and you know it's pretty neat you cover a lot of different topics that i think a lot of people have questions in or you know want to learn in yeah i appreciate it yeah that's that's what i hope to keep on doing going forward i don't want it to i don't want my videos to ever just be about killing birds i mean there's so much more waterfowl hunting about that you know the relationships you get to make with people the areas you get to visit, the things you get to learn. So I always want to try and incorporate all that into my videos, and I hope I can keep doing that going forward. Well, you better believe if you make it to Arkansas this year, uh, you're getting the wig. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm 21 now, so I can uh, participate in the festivities. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, we're we're going to make that happen this fall. I, I'll definitely be able to cut out, cut out some time where I can make it down there and uh, check Arkansas off the list. I'm definitely looking forward to it. 
Yeah, I'm glad. Uh, it would have been fun to have you come, but I'm glad you didn't. Just that one weekend you said you were coming through, man. It was, it was a terrible weekend. We had a tornado come through Arkansas. The oh, next yeah. morning was garbage. I mean, we, I don't even. I think we killed maybe three birds, and then the rest of the weekend was just shaky. We had some friends south of us; they lost their house, and then it oh, just, damn. man, yeah, it was not the best weekend to come to Arkansas, but. If you can make it this year, man, we'd love to have you down. It'd be fun. We'll show you a good time and hopefully put you on some uh, blue wing teal. Yeah, I'm looking looking forward to it already. Yeah, we got we came through Arkansas when we were going out there at the worst time too. I guess it was Tennessee actually because yeah, we were. I, I think I drove through Nashville while it was snowing. We came through right when that blizzard was rolling. <laughs> so we literally drove through three hours of the heaviest snow I've ever driven through with a trailer on my Tacoma. So that was uh, a little bit. A little bit hairy, but um, yeah, we made it through. Luckily, <laughs> hey, good practice though. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. I was actually really proud of how that truck handled with that trailer behind yeah. in that snow. But, Never uh, doubt the taco. Yeah, in the future, I think I'll have my my when I can leave for trips be a little bit more flexible in case of weather. Yeah, I'd rather um, avoid that if I can. Yeah, man, I don't blame you. We uh, we drove in the snow. This year, going to Arkansas, it took us six hours just to get to Memphis. Oh, God. And then by the time we finally got to Memphis, the roads were clear, and it was easy driving from there. But, man, that was probably the longest trip it's ever taken me to get to Arkansas. That snow line was right on the edge of Nashville when we hit that, but it was building on the backside. We were lucky we made it through when we did, because if we had been three or four hours behind even further, I don't think we would have made it. Yeah, you would have been sleeping on my couch. <laughs> yep, yep. Stuck in the ditch somewhere in eastern Tennessee. Yeah. Well, uh, well, Thomas, how can uh, how can people find you on social media? Um, YouTube, Hoke Outdoors, and then my Facebook and Instagram are the same. So um, that's the easiest way to find me, get in contact with me. My email is still virginiaoutdoorsunlimited at gmail.com. So if you ever want to reach out and have a have a conversation, that's probably the easiest way to do it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much it for yeah, my social yeah. media. I've, I used to play it around with TikTok some in the past, but that's definitely not my platform. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I've never downloaded it. Uh, it's, it's not uh, my yeah. thing. It's cool. It's funny, but yeah, you're lucky. Don't, yeah. Don't even play with it. Cause it's, I think it's a super dangerous app. Honestly, I think the amount of kids I know that are young and just, I mean, spent hours on their phone, just looking at it. It's, uh, it's definitely got something going on. <laughs> yeah, I just – I don't have enough time, man, between work and oh yeah, planning a wedding and hunting. Man, there's just not enough time of the day for it. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, well, well, Thomas, man, I cannot thank you enough. I'm stoked to have you on tonight. It was awesome talking to you. I mean, I feel like we could have gone easily another hour. Oh, yeah, but, no doubt. Man, it was awesome talking to you. Hope hope you can come out to Arkansas this year. We'll show you a good time. and. Hopefully put you on some birds. If not, we'll uh, at least guarantee a good time. Yeah, sounds like a plan. I appreciate you having me on, Ethan. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this fall. We'll definitely, right. <laughs> definitely line something up. All right, man. We'll take it easy. You too. Thanks, Thomas. All right. Bye. See ya.